plowing old patterns, raising new ground. Hello and welcome to the second instalment of Plowing Old Patterns, Raising New Ground, a series of audio works centred around British folk culture. My name is Matthew from Legion Projects, an artist-run organisation based in the UK. For Plowing Old Patterns, Raising New Ground, we have commissioned a broad range of artist audio works for you to listen to from the comfort of your homes. This episode, we look to the oral tradition, also known as the oral law of folk culture. is a form of human communication wherein knowledge, art, ideas and cultural material is received, perceived and transmitted orally. It is within this tradition that many of our favourite folk tales and seasonal customs have been passed on from one generation to another. When many stories and traditions have not been recorded or documented and sometimes adapted by the teller or the interpretation of the listener. Oral lore is shared through speech or song and may include folk tales, poetry, chants, ballads or prose. Following this tradition, this episode is a grotesque fairy tale based on the amalgamation of folklore and myth. Queerness is woven throughout this tale, weaving notions of sexuality, gender, with a celebration of the strange and weirdness with a why. This episode is also a little love letter to radio plays, audiobooks. I'm sure we all have our favourites that we listened to when we were little, um, or teenagers, or even adults. One of my favourite things that I listen to again and again, it's a great source of comfort and humour for me, is a BBC Radio Wales production, Curiosity Under the Stars, which is set in a made-up pub in a little seaside village which I'm imagining to be Pembrokeshire somewhere and weaves in kind of characters from the Mabinogion, wizards, old dogs and there's a whole cast of comedy characters. I really recommend you give it a listen. Now, you are about to listen to The Ballad of William Hazelnut by artist Paul Kindersley. This fairy tale is based on Paul's childhood love of Agatha Christie audiobooks and the strong memories of companionship he had with radio. The play will mine Paul's previous trilogy of play scripts where characters were born from personal biography, memory and fairy tale. I really hope you enjoy this tale, ideally tucked up in bed or by the hearth of the fireplace, both real or imaginary. Night night. This is the story of a lost and lonely boy who came from under the ground and found himself wandering woefully in the forest like a spring rabbit kitten separated from its colony. We join him after days of aimless trampling through the leafy undergrowth. An owl hoots constantly. But who is it speaking to? Hoot! 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 What follows is the entirety of his experience. Hoot! Who? William who? Hazel Hoot? I have always hated this forest with its solid slimy trees, pus-sapped and scabrous-skinned. For as long as I can remember, I've despised it. However long or short a time that may be, the twisted barkhead trunks are all I have for home, as I know not from whence I came. The aged, rotted totems are like parents who cannot hug. Muttering, he walks in giant, overlapping spirals that centre on the gathering place. 
When he looks too closely into the dense thicket treescapes, the old bogeyman's face pops up again and again with different and interchanging mugs. Sometimes he spies its dibbuk visage hopping away on a bunnykin's face as it hurriedly seeks another mate for rutting. Nestled throughout the brush, these fearful faces appear. William knows deep down that they dare not harm him. He is safe, yet bristles always with the feel of danger. The tumescent, puce devils must think the boy a warm-blood drinker, so only torment him from a ghostly distance. A demon that will not hug. This forest job is to make the lost soul uneasy, disorientated, and confusingly familiar, yet always unnerving labyrinth of caustic form, spinning and solid, static and ever-changing. William knew no other physical home. He had just the vaguest of memories, perhaps, hauntings of a previous life. Subterranean. Underfoot. Subterrestrial. Muscle memories of what lay below the shimmering soil mass, or cross-crisp latticed by snail journeys. But William was using his lungs now, and each new pine-scented inhalation puffed his pulmonary and rendered his past ever more misty and unreachable, unremembered, his current manifestation becoming the entirety of his character, a translucent and bewildered pond-water drinker with tiny ears and slimy genitalia, underdeveloped, undignified, and destined to drift unknowing and unfocused. But perhaps the encroaching trees saw him differently. As a terrified, delicate mouse, a pawn in Demeter's hands, searching for its next hiding place? We do! We do! Yes, we do! You do? Toots too! Once? Just days after his violent ejection from the sunken fountainhead, when he was fresh to the habit of mouth-breathing, he tried tirelessly to help the tree's puny, dying leaves fall safely to the forest floor, catching each browning pad mid-air and transporting it handheld, his palms a crucible facing heavenwards, delicately laying it to rest and compost with his friend. Reunited, so thoughtful in his idiocy, mindlessly confident in his ability to serve nature, the most beautiful and limpid, caring imbecile. Perhaps that's just the sort of man he was. That is the sort of man I am. It is. Is it? It is. That short-lived, time-wasting sport was now a mere bygone. And William reflected, as he was wont to do on a darkening afternoon, on his terrifying surroundings, his mind preoccupied with the faces that gleamed red and transposed themselves haphazardly from mammal to insect to shrub. A jumping, metamorphosing contagion. Through habit, he found himself once more in the gathering place, where all around the rain drizzled, slicing the thick putrid air and hitting the slouching woodlice before they could bawl. The soft dust of the woodland floor was quickly converted to a murky slush, and dead pine needles found themselves afloat in newly fashioned puddles. His eyes, now nature moistened, caught glimpse of something in the distance. He knew at once it was not one of the usual mutating, putrid, devilish faces that haunted all his waking hours, and thus connived it to be the myxomatosis red eyes of a poor bunny on its journey down Hellway. 
Monstrously large raindrops clung to his eyelashes, then dropped heavily, causing his eyes to spring wide. Only then did he realize his voyeur was not crouching bulbous between four paws, but had an upright raptor stature, all tufted ears and spinning beaked head, well-fed and bulging. Owl was well known at a distance to the wood's other occupants. A crepuscular logician and sage boffin with translucent and yellowing feathered genitals. William gulped. He was not prepared for an owl. I am not prepared for the owl. West and unprepared. crept submissively in the bird's direction, bowed, genuflecting. Owl observed this display with his head about turned and started jerkily hopping closer to the boy. As they drew nearer to one another, William could see an ashamed jester's smile on its passerine face. It seemed both excited and nervous and was nodding frantically. He, in turn, nodded back at half-speed. There were a diverse and kinky multitude of thoughts whirling around inside his head. Uppermost among them was, what did the owl want him to do? What do you want of me? And also, why did you put yourself in this predicament? So exposed as if to feed from daylight's own hand. So ridiculous to see you clipped unsoaring and land-welded. So tame and trusting. Are you trying to construct predator-prey relations? Who will play buck? Try your luck. Pray hoot. Play hoot. Their thoughts entwined, raced high. Would they hunt together? The bird gliding as watchman, locating from above the fattest rabbits, all white, grey or marl, whilst William, on all fours, would catch the quarry toothways and savour the iron-rich red-hot. Two minds, one kill, unison under the waning moon, flirtation's first kill. Pray on blood, pray for blood, hoot, pray. Mouth was never seated. It grew darker. The forest, always dubious, now dingy too. It seemed as though the sun would never rise again. Gloom had crept up on the earth early. Cloudy, misty, dismal. This night, no view could be obtained in any which way. No star was visible. William looked around for the nearest recognizable thing and thought he saw distant lights are burning. They seemed so very far off. Was that where other thin green skins like himself live? Perhaps what he saw was just the sun-scorched scars impressed upon his flimsy eyelids interior. He sensed a wrongness, but knew not whether it was interior or imposed. The malignant source was impossible to locate, and anger welled up inside the little man. He could only scream. Light! Ether? What's wrong? How far? Who decided? Pluck that beaming crescent moon from off your forehead and fling it down to me. Let me bear the radiance to light my own trajectory. Through the half-dark, he felt Owl's hard-ringed, pipe-cleaner knee touch his. Sudden isolation eradicated. Is it a rescue? It hooted excitedly. 
but not so loud as to arouse the shrubbery-dwelling longlegs or the night-gleaning fat-tailed rats. A stillness followed. Only the breeze, wafting herbaceous, intensifying the calming effects of the knee-to-knee Then, suddenly, unsluiced, William's questions started to flow freely. Mom, where am I? Who are you? What transgression is this? Can we go back to our respective planets now that contact has been made? Is that what you're asking, boy? Have we transgressed? Stepped together over an otherworldly threshold? Questions, questions, Sending The blanket-like, pitch-black continued to enclose William, as it often did on non-moon nights. He felt unreachable on his solitary island of dug dirt piled high, rainwater moat encircled. His back against tree and his hand before eye. Darkness is accompanied by its brother, chaos. How can you see me when I cannot see you? See me. Pierce me through with your cylindrical second sight. Maybe that beaked lavender lady who helped you once before is waiting claws outstretched to lead you to me. You might be able to understand her tonight. I have seen her mumble words to you, and although I cannot tell what they mean, I know you understand them. Submit to her whispering embrace before her talons lacerate new lifelines on your palms. Twittering and hooting away was the owl, but William remembered none of what it prattled on about. He had never been helped by no lady or no man or no woodlouse or vole or no bird, for that matter. He arrived aslimed upon the forest floor, his vulnerable naked stickiness attracting twigs and leaf dust and ants until it had encrusted him, hardening, then peeling off. No, he remembered no help at all. No help from the fingered or the beaked. Owl, you are ignorant, foolhardy, and maddening. My birth, my cocoon, my eruption was all unchaperoned and independent. Suddenly straightening and emboldened, William suggested and gesticulated and articulated and interrogated. The poor owl visibly shrank, deflating to a grey, louse-like ball. Can you still see me? My voice must sound strange. Is it because my mouth is shut or the funny way your ears are turned? Interior! And then he stopped. Stopped and listened. Although darkness itself is an unspeaking silence, the forest never hushes. It lives and breathes and rustles and spooks and decomposes and shoots upwards and spores and stretches, dropping and wafting and howling and shaking. There is no stillness above the lithosphere. Communing, communicating, commemorating. And Owl, if I may call you by your species, Nomen, what will happen if we are separated? Again? Night and day cleaved. The only discernible voices that replied were the mumblings of the trees calling his name. They hate me from their thick gnarled roots up to their pointed green crisp new branch buds. I am sure of it. So why do I feel so safe amongst them? What hold wood has over man? Always assured of its superiority just because any tree will outlive any human. When you are cut down, your exposed rings will count for nothing. Retorts 
the boy no longer petrified. And in sharp response to his new emboldened strength, they spit their sap at him. Nights follow nights, as is their custom. Dark hours dawdle, and their minutes pass slower than those of their sister, the day. Luna looks down and illuminates all the occupied landscapes, oceans with dead bodies floating within them. Great birds of the future, gagging, too weak to fly themselves to safety. Monstrous kit rabbits that know not how insignificant they are, soft to the touch, but screeching and wailing internally. A weary spider that can barely repair the holes ripped in its own netting. Languid, cold doom rises from the prophetized blood potencies that compelled the fathers to chop themselves at the knee for worship of her. He is to me the thin moon visible when the sun still reigns. The owl sighed dramatically as he looked at William's hands and feet, showing signs of withering away from the countless days of bog scrabbling and leaf coddling. Thin skin revealing all of the 27 bones that make up a human hand. Stripped of the puffy epidermis cushion, his extremities could be those of a water bowl, a high tree monkey, or even the long claws of a grouse or hare. Each Some days, when the sun dappled through the interlacing leaves, William slept. Some days, Ray warmed, his slumbers produced dreams, a vivid tunneling into his brain's past life, a mirage of a life alternate. In one such somnous vision, he sees a woman with crow's teeth pour milk over some other man's head. She cuts his hair and shapes it with a sticky ejaculate that turns the scalp translucent like wet insect wings. These crepuscular activities all take place entombed in a soft mold. None of us know if the things we dream are a living truth elsewhere, born across the twilight frontiers by Queen Mab herself. I heard she now needs fattened rabbits to pull her chariot. <laughs> the cargo increased and the spindly little legs of the insect bearers kept breaking under their burden. Such is the weight of transporting the world's nocturnal visions. Be still. My tears won't stop, he cries, angling and cracking his neck to face upwards as if there was a heaven to hear him beyond the dense clouds crushing down, heavy-headed and suffocating, suppressing both nightmare and reality, yet more cargo for the overwhelmed fairy midwife. Listing off the aborted children's names as the forest struggles to conceive. I wish to love. But fuck me in the meantime. Stretch me out across the Cirrostratus. 
a floppy god spread eagled. I am too immature to sire, and no cloud is strong enough to support my heaviness. Leave me behind! Tempest Fugit. Time flies and gallops, pushing past animals, pushing through people, hunt or be hunted. Fashion a sickle from the waxing crescent to harvest the young salad tops. I will punch aside anyone I encounter, screeching, unloading from my orifices at random, roaring down the endless conifer-lined aisleway to find the purple corvid woman, her front teeth held forth, arms length in a presentation pouch, bargaining tools. She pours me a cup of wine from a silver jug, her skin which glows and shines, cuts deep into my eyes and forehead. She knows my story for sure. I do not have to make believe when she's at touching distance through the void. She speaks the past into reality. Your past is personality. Agitated by these many manifestations, the boy William travelled at speed clambering on further up into the wood to where it becomes its densest, travelling on all fours, backside jutting upwards, graceless but swift, the mechanism of a long-forgotten beast. After much movement, he began to hear voices. Human beings this time, perhaps? He could not tell the thickness of their skins from the shouts and yelps and groans. He was sure they were crying out in agony, trying to defend themselves. The sounds traveled closer, carried on the zephyrs that knew how to weave fast through the woodland. The boy child felt his translucent, goose-pimpled skin and bare chest frot against leaves, roots and mushrooms. Some smelling of wet wool and musty deceased flowers, whilst others carried the most beautiful odor of ambrosia, scent so strong that his eyes became heavy, languorous and dreamy with fatigue and delight. He forgot his momentum and purpose. The smells were fecund and arousing, but in an accompanying and accepting sadness, he knew them to be a species other than his own. You cannot fool me! I am as different from them as the owl is from moon! As distinctly other as this forefinger is from that crawling louse! Separate! I am unique! And suddenly the cry stopped, and everything fell frighteningly silent. It took several minutes for the rustle of leafage and branches to return with trepidation. William tuned in and listened intently to the fungus sporing, going about its sublimely murderous continuity. Later, when the moon started its journey upward, rising framed between two broken boughs, there was Owl again. Magnificent in its grey, green, yellow fur and flight feathers all induced. Flying close to him, wafting its wingtips against his face down. Reassuring and not beady-eyed creepy, the owl spoke to him softly, asking him to come nest with it. It was best to do what the forest asked of them. Listen to the trees. The words whirled round and around, echoing and repeating in a thousand different nymph and sprite voices, scampering up and down the musical scales and whipping through the sharp branched trees, a polyphonic frenzy whipping up the frothy ferment until finally the human boy floated quietly upwards with the bird. When William eventually returned to solid foothold, the forest looked different from how he had remembered. There were trees of incredible height and width 
interspersed with vast, bright, lighted bushes, all knitted with the living ribbons of sustaining vegetation. Neon yellows flaunting and acid greens rippling. There was starlight so bright as never before, and he heard the trees' voices, both personal and universal. William Hazelnut, William Hazelnut, stay with us, William Hazelnut, William Hazelnut, William Hazelnut, stay with us, William Hazelnut. Their chorus of voices vibrated through him. Each iteration, as pale and recognisable as a deathly comrade symboling from beyond. The magnificence had mutated into menace. Beauty, like a hunter's knife edge, slices quickly into decay. Languid, suicidal thoughts came bounding and throbbing, unstoppable, out of their capacious lakeside mansions, casting their nets wide. Nets full of holes that spiders cannot repair. Harder and harder, Mab flogs her beasties with a grasshopper leg whip, but to no avail, her chariot's monstrosity had finally overwhelmed its crew. The lament they sing as they sink into the mire is the funeral march of the blood's surging tides. Now come with us, dear boy. Observing the terrestrial torment from his roost on high, the owl gazed down upon the scene. William, framed by a mushroom fairy ring and spotlit by Selene's personal handheld wax candle, a solitary fetal plod. In hushed tones, owls sobbed with the internalized affection of all 18,877 weird little lichens that the forest harbors. I love you, and I want companionship. William's tongue dangled helplessly inside his mouth. The owl swooped down to peck it from his head as if it were an obese pink grub taunting its attacker. Do you mind? Quizzed the owl, turning its globular countenance to face William's pallid oblong mortal features. Before words of answer came, William allowed his glowing cheek to nestle softly in that graying predator's pelt. The worm has turned, martyred, breath on which I feed, no longer dewy, dissolves into dust. On saying these words so cryptic, the owl moved unobtrusively but noticeably away. William stared perturbed at the bird's receding form, its unblinking eyes unnervingly emotionless, getting smaller and smaller as they disappeared into the forest dusk. Alone again, he felt more friendless than ever, left still fingering the mythical and ethereal star of an imagined encounter. Owl, who are you? Who made you and why? Who, who? In the distance, the owl alighted on a spear-like branch claws dug. It sat still, staring in its unfocused way, head pivoted completely, eyes on backwards. Tiny dots of yellow piercing through time. It was not looking Williamward, but studying the ground beneath him. I worked hard to become the shape. Oh, if you could just... They looked at each other across the infinite chasm with tempestuous feelings. Two rabble-snatching ripe hairs brawling in a very alien dance. A jig led gracelessly by the twinkling music of two loving uncles parading to the green man's beat. Soaring earthwards to the arrhythmic thumping, the owl returned 
to nestle within touching distance of the prone mortal. William looked up to study its translucent and hypnotic incandescent genitals. Eventually, he took a deep began William, in a noticeably sincere, apologetic tone. But I do not feel that way, and I never will. I just don't love you, Owl. I can't. I can't love. He cannot, he cannot, he won't and can't. He cannot, he cannot, he can't, he can't. Owl looked distressed, its emotions raw like an ancient. The living ampersand of this story taunted it with a million dangling ands, and, 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 androgyny, andromeda, and, and, and. We told you so. We told you so. We told you so. The song, a melancholy chorus of wooded whisperings, swished from their branches as they sprung fresh buds and infant leaflings through hermaphroditic methods, showing off passionately as they are eager to do when misfortune befalls another species. It's at times like this that trees contrive to create romantic shadings for fresh, excited rabbits to fornicate all night long, goaded by lunar energies and the vibrations they produce. William heard the owl's emotions shatter into over 9,887 individual pieces. As he listened to each fissure, Fresh salt tears formed and rolled earthbound. In the eventide, through this watery veil, he blearily observed an enlightened murmuration glide gracefully into the distance, carrying the broken stridgy form on high. As it does, time passes. Time passes. Not even a drink of clear pond water swam through with jellied spawn could calm William's nerves at night anymore. He was changed into that man for whom suicide is the only logical option to expel all the ghosts from his home. The elements break and on their screaming wake. He could not hear the forest's eternal voices or see its demonic masks. He took this to mean he would no longer be renewed. He was sure extinction for his species was now destiny. He went and climbed his favorite tree. Thick trunk between thighs, frog-like. The castellations of the bark ripping at his growing leg hairs the sticky amber sap confusing his body into thinking it had wet dreamed. William believed now he would never return underground, nor comprehend the stories of the toothless woman that weave histories with tree roots under toenail moons. His only hope was to be carried away higher than his imagination could fathom by the thousand-beaked muttering possibilities of the Martlet Choir. So there, on high in his pine tree, he sat for months, perched, primed, prepared, swaying in the boughs, telepathically communing with the branches and their twigs, not daring to speak loud the questions that rotted at his insides. Said the trees, warping under the boy's weighty adolescent anatomy. 
You're not the only one. William lifted his head to look upon the blinding white and orange stars of this night sky as the moon rose higher until she appeared haloing the top of his tree residence. Its silvery radiance bathed the surrounding world in a glitter shadow. He craned his neck back as far as humans can stretch and saw, enveloped in the glow, the owl sitting across from him, its head tilted forward, nodding as if sleeping. William was in no doubt he would follow it this time. Where are we going, owl? The owl, statuesque in its grey, feather-veined, marble splendour, did not reply immediately. Sir William reached out, finger to touch, talon. Sharp, hardened nail wrapped in soft down tufting, piercing against his translucent, bony skin wand. That was all it took. Soon, the reconciled twosome were traveling side by side along the treetops, circling slowly, looping like the rabbits that chase one another so furiously they turn to curds. The owl was humming softly to keep its voice audible to William, leading the merry dance like a child playing hide-and-seek on the forest floor below. They passed through dense woodland and forests of trees and past oaks and elms and bushes of gorse and mulberry being nibbled at by the silkworm and nut trees of all sorts and huge conifers that were their favourites. Then, suddenly, the owl increased speed, zooming, unhesitating, not following the Earth's curvature, not further skywards, not towards the light intergalactic, not towards soft cloud freedoms, but the opposite, towards darkness, towards danger, towards the rooted foundations, downwards. Tree crowns swayed beneath William, and he felt himself lurching dizzily along as he gawped feebly into the endless night landscape, watching the owl's tail oscillate at frighteningly immense speed as it plummeted through the air. He imagined the curls either side of its downy undercarriage as it darted purposefully downwards, and so he followed. Where are you taking me? It does not answer him. Instead, its silhouette grows smaller and smaller, hurtling towards the earth solid. From the intense billowing darkness, he hears a calm voice say, Hello. Hello? Hello? William shouted back, crashing headlong down through the trees into the speaking mold, Pete, from whence he had always known he came. It is time. He heard the bog and moss and clay sing out in unison as one clumped being. He realized the earth was no longer calling him back, but crying out a crusty welcome. It is And the tree took its gnarled finger and struck it along its trunk, igniting It is time. He heard the words banging hard as an ancient woman's fist upon his cranial door. He continued his descent towards the coaxing earth. Time was slow as he felt the heated rush of the contra winds slapping at his body, rattling his three tiny inner ear bones, pulling at his one thin layer of skin, his nudity rippling across like storm-hit dunes. The fall was magic, but the moss was not soft as he had oft imagined. It was just a thin buffer abetting its violent companion, the compacted mud. 
and there was no warren or doorway opening as he had dreamt, just the unshakable concrete rock of this planet. This planet wedged uncomfortably between sisters, sun and moon, who cradled it, laughing. The next day, I thought my ears had broken and my genitals had burst into flames. William had fallen from a great height. At the bottom of the drop, he heard sounds, familiar sounds. He heard the eight legs of a spider working together, a woodlouse rolling, fearful, an earwig scratching, and a worm wriggling through peristalsis. From the topsoil, he could hear the blooded, sharp claws of a rabbit scratching at grubs and he imagined its devilish masked face. He still felt the wind and the air and the drumming from the upshake lingering in his own ica. It propelled and twisted and thrust and screwed him into the earth below, faster and with more agility than the thousand blind worms that surrounded him. The local badgers would remember his drilling speed for centuries. His voyage to whence he had come was just beginning, and he knew not how far he would have to scrape. Sticks and stones may scrape against my skinned shins, but storytelling can't hurt me! William whispered to himself as his motivation began to stall. Trapped beneath the earth, he began to silently scream, lost 
under a wholesome mushroomy layer. At the last great thrust into the air before the plunge, Owl had utilized its full energy to propel a ferocious force, transmitting into William the motivation he needed, the knowledge and power to fall, to fall hard and to fall freely, to take the leap he wanted to, but would never have dared attempt alone. And there are no dead owls. There can be no dead owls. I, for one, have never seen a dead owl. There are no dead birds. They just keep flying higher and higher and higher. William consoled himself as he lay crunched and distorted. He listened to the insect orchestra that continued unperturbed around him. Soothing songs they manufactured to assist in the breakdown of his corpse. He could hear their thousands salivations and happy gnashings. The larvae, the mites, and the flesh-eating fungus that he would listen to in perpetuity. Would, would a blowfly eat, eat a feather? He thought to himself. How many feathers can one ant carry? I must be mad. Over time, his translucent skin became just another insignificant speck of the sapling fodder that comprised the island's mulch. Destined to rise steadily through the strata and one day again reflect the glimmer of moonly light. He realized soon it was not his place to be mad. He was not mad. He was never mad. I was mad. And I am proud of my madness. There is no night and day beneath the earth, so it is unimportant to mark how many solar rotations may have passed. William attempted to open his eyes. They were greatly irritated by the sand and soil, but he was intrigued by the fresh noises that came from below. He imagined centipedal legs running over the mucus of his eyeballs, leaving sticky footprint idents. He listened to the depths. He listened to his warren. He was home. Not the home he had imagined when up and under the green baldachin but still a home. A safe cage made of roots. He turned the key in the lock and let himself into the mud-stained digs. He deserved a rest. Back upside in the world of the woodlice, it was raining once again, and one beastie unballed and followed the excavations until it reached William's subterranean door. Can I come in now? said the louse. Yes. It slipped in through the open door and along the wall, sliding quietly out of sight. Welcome back, said the toothless, violet-hued woman in the next tunnel, her voice heavily laced with both milky knowledge and disappointed wisdom carried along the chambers, twisting through the cerebrum. She continuously doled out advice he did not want to hear, but he did hear it nonetheless. It was not worth returning. The years above of foraging, scuttling and tree climbing had left him too rickety and weak to burrow more, and besides he had not the eagle's tough talons or the hare's aptitude for archaeology. He was once again at odds with himself unsatisfied with his species. Perhaps not. Perhaps it is just the sadness of being. The dirt door oozed open once more. William knew she was there to sustain him. He wanted to return, 
she asked, looking for his features among the dirt and poking upwards into the mudden roof walls as though trying to burrow through to the forgotten bright moonlight. She spilled her milk, but it was soon lapped up by the woodlouse. You want to return, she whispered before joining the louse in its lickings. Return, perhaps. On a night much like this one, a night of battles and battles and battles, a night of fireballs and collapsing tunnels, a night of catching baby rabbits as they drop, pink, blind and hairless from their mothers. With that, William outstretched his compacted corpse, rose to his full height and turned to walk away. The door swung shut behind him and he passed into another mud dungeon of his own making. Welcome back. William was shaken on hearing this familiar voice, but not surprised. There, all troglodyte, framed by wooden roots in the dim light, sat the majestic bird, appendages bent but glowing, as if decomposition had never touched a tip of this winged rotund creature. I went back to the gathering place. I wandered around all night, every night. I wandered without purpose. And I missed you. Owl ruffled its feathers, dispersing the dry mud and fluffing its downy white underneath. An owl is quite imposing when it fills a whole cave. I missed you more than ever. William had long vanished into this subterranean world, a world that had to all intents and purposes sired him, but which did not truly care for his return. Nevertheless, there he was. This underworld had expunged all expression from his face, and rendered all internal fluids colourless and slow. No response. The owl stared at William. But William was barely there. His upstairs communication skills had long since dissipated. I cannot understand. I have waited. The owl stares at William. William stares at the owl. I cannot understand it at all. I have waited. For what? For destiny to reveal itself. William collapsed, stunned by this declaration. He was lost in this blood-stained sandpit beneath its tree-root-shielded roof. He was perhaps 74 or so inches below where he had first emerged, blinking, naked, mole rat. Thin skin, light burned, sticky adolescent birth. Nothing had revealed itself, no past. All that lay between the other beasts and this so-called destiny, all that he had worked for and fought for up above, all was irreparably lost, and now that it was lost, he wanted nothing more than the indulgence of forgetting. Please allow me this amnesia, the dull droning eternity of dissolved memories, melting into cloudbursts, dissipating to a drizzle. He wanted to forget the way he was trapped, and the way he thought he had suffered. The way he was always trapped, whether under the moon's glow, or closer to the Earth's far core, a trap is a trap. When a bunny's snow-white paw is mangled between a trap's teeth, it matters not the trap's location. The bunny screams and claws at itself, self-mutilating and dying slowly alone. No other rabbits will stay to watch the horror. But for this one moment, they were two in their trap, the owl and William narratives entwined by the steadily unravelling ampersand around which they were both 
perplexingly entangled. The bird continued to stare intently at the lost boy as he in turn gazed emotionlessly through his mud-and-blood caked eyes, searing soft holes into the crumbly ceiling of the rain-smeared hovel. Please leave! William's face was lost in the gloaming, heavy eyelid portcullises dropping, entry denied. He wished again for death. How, How many, many times, times can, can one, one man, man die? die? He wondered as he felt himself slowly expiring. He desired to delete everything his cells had ever experienced and return to the gathering place for reincarnation. Returning as a single-minded rabbit, perhaps, living for making love violently and eating grass. As Oblivion arrived, knocking gently but firmly at the crypt door, Owl turned its feathered back on the hollowed-out boy and walked mournfully into the blackness of the tunnel. It knew that you cannot save the unwilling. The warren was long deserted now. No witches, no larvae, no flies. Owl lay covered in a thin layer of iron-orange sand amongst William's brittle broken bones. Scapula for pillow. The bird's yellowing stained genitalia barely concealed by a smattering of discoloured feathers. It hadn't got far. Its fate was to stay buried too. It had watched from the dark corners of the crypt as William's body deflated, dried out, crumbled. A guardian, a carved stone gargoyle. And horrific fate to persevere with life when even the woodlice have moved out of the sepulchre. I shall return again. He didn't want to live again, and he would never have whispered those words into reality. But the ants tickled at him until he agreed to, so his voice, incorporeal, once again whispered into the mud. I shall return. I never left. The owl's shrouded eyes blinked once in the sepia-green darkness and his talons tapped musically on the flagstone floor. Time passed, perhaps a great deal of time, or perhaps very little. This new sun-warmed morning, William sat cross-legged looking at the tombstone. Whoever had erected it had not tried to carve words on it. There was no need to commemorate. It displayed just one symbol, a knotted ampersand, carved and gilded directly into the bedrock. A floppy Ouroboros that had let its tail slip. Continuation, but not infinite. A story that was fated to go on and and on and 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 on and on. But maybe not forever. William never spoke of the Warren, and he rarely thought of his previous lives. But in the diseased yellow pinprick eyes of a passing rabbit, his memory would see the squint of a dancing dibbuck or perhaps the wink of a knowing bird he once knew. 
William began to nose and mouth breathe freely again, rejuvenated, sparkling even. He glutted on milk pus left on the forest floor in elm arms bowls by the village grandmothers. The thin layer of mucus dried atop his translucent skin, making it look waxy and thicker, and the blood shone through in a deep, throbbing purple. And as he grew stronger in body, something innate compelled him to walk each day at dusk when the sun and her moon were both visible in the sky together, to the great tree-shielded gathering place to check the carved tumulus. Hoots! Hoots! The same compulsion commanded Owl, too. Each late afternoon, as the moon winked from the still blue darkening sky, it would spread to full span, hoot twice, and head down through the canopy to alight silently on a low branch. From this vantage point, it would watch William at the tombstone, now just a mossy lump reclaimed. Each day it sat and watched and waited, tooting and hooting and cooing and waiting. Every day it hooted, but there was no one to listen anymore. Hoots, hoots, hoots. written and directed by Paul Kindersley. Recording, editing and composing was by Philip Cornett. Starring Richard Heffer as the narrator, Tamsin Heatley as William Hazelnut, Jenny Runnaker as Owl, and Winifred Aldous and Vincent Kindersley as the trees. Ploughing Old Patterns, Raising New Ground is a series of listening works commissioned and produced by Matthew Robert Hughes and Una Hamilton-Heller of Legion Projects. The theme tune is composed by Stephen Crow, and graphic design is by Blue Firth. Any additional editing by Una Hamilton-Heller. This project has been supported by Arts Council England. Listen up for our upcoming commissions, which include guided meditations, experimental journeying, and podcast formats, by subscribing to the show through all major podcast providers, as well as at legionprojects.com. See you soon!